This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to another edition of My Chelsea, uh, and this week it features a great friend of mine and somebody that most Chelsea fans will know very, very well. Um, he's the author of so many books. I'm just going to list a few of them here. Chelsea, The Complete Record, Chelsea, The Official Biography, Chelsea Miscellany and Rhapsody in Blue, and many, many more. And of course, he is Chelsea's official historian. He is the absolutely lovely, wonderful Mr. Rick Glanville. Hello, Rick. How are Aww. you? Hello, David. How are you? I'm Lovely all right. to speak to you again. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. Um, not, not in the least, because it's a beautiful sunny day, which always helps. Um, as you know, this is a great fun thing to do for me, actually, this My Chelsea yes. series, because it's, you know, we never get time to talk about these kinds of things on the show, and actually, they're probably the most important things. And I think it's a lovely way for people to get to know some of the people that have been involved with the fan cast over many mm. years. Um, really just about their journey through Chelsea. So, obviously, first question, <laughs> yes. Rick, how did your journey start? <laughs> well, it's actually quite uh, more common than people think, I, I reckon, this one. I was born in North London, half a mile from Highbury. And uh, my dad's side of the family were all Arsenal season ticket holders. And uh, my mum is from... Uh, the East End uh, of London and her family all West Ham and my, I've got an older brother he's four years older than me and uh, we had not committed I mean I would have been four or five or something at the time of this story and he would have been eight or nine and we hadn't committed to any club at all and to be honest I don't really have Great, many great recollections of even watching football. I remember watching the England win the World Cup in a hotel in uh, um, Galston in, <laughs> in, uh, near Yarmouth. <laughs> I watched that. That's probably an early football memory. But that summer, my uh, maternal granddad, so my mum's dad, hatched a plan to turn us into hammers. And at the start of the season, in August 1966, West Ham were at home. So he said... He thought, this is my 
granddad purse uh, took my older brother to the West Ham game and he knew that the the three World Cup winners would march out into the middle in this glorious sunshine wave to the the crowd and all four corners all four stands applauded them and uh, the one stand of the away supporters was full of Chelsea fans because they were playing Chelsea Football Club and um, Charlie Cook was the the new man in the, the Chelsea side? Uh, he was magnificent. Chelsea won two one. Uh, my grandfather's plan was up in smoke. My brother came home and said, "We're Chelsea fans." So <laughs> it was Charlie Cook and Bobby Tambling that made me a Chelsea fan because my brother, older brother, gave me no choice, and I'm ever so glad that that he didn't. I was quite bemused, as I say, I was five years old, um, but uh, but that was it, and. My dad actually sort of gave in to it. I would never would have. I would have said, what are you talking about? I'll never take you to a football match if you're not Chelsea fans. But my dad was really good about it. He just thought, well, they're interested in football, so I can take them to games. Uh, and we didn't want to go to Arsenal games. We only wanted to go to Chelsea games. So that's what he did. I mean, he did take us to to. Uh, Arsenal games when they were playing Chelsea, but he never took us to Arsenal games when they were playing anyone else. Um, and he took us to Stamford Bridge loads and loads of times with my mum in in train as well. And uh, she's still a mad Chelsea fan. She texts me before every game and says, good luck, Chelsea. And then afterwards, if we won or lost, look, reaction. Oh, well played. Oh, they were unlucky. Or something like that. 85 years old. Brilliant. Was still texting her son about uh, about the games. Brilliant. I mean, I love that. It's kind of the accidental story, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's because yeah. I, I mean, you and I, you, you and I know so many mates who are, you know, second, third, fourth generation Chelsea fans. Even it's, you know, it's in the blood, they were born into yeah. it. They had no choice, in fact. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I found it in a very circuitous fashion, even more so than you, really. So it's love. I love hearing those kind of stories. It's exactly what you said. It's happenstance. And then here we all are, many, many, many years later, completely embedded in the whole mad thing. And I, and I, and personally myself, um, I wrote, I co-wrote a book, uh, the the incredible world of the football fan. And one of the pieces I wrote in it was saying about how I don't care what, as far as my children are concerned, what religion they have, what politics they have, and all the rest of it. <laughs> But they will be Chelsea supporters. <laughs> it's only choice. Well, <laughs> any choice they 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 are denied. I, I I yeah. I mean that's so true and so right as well. I mean I don't have kids, but I have to say this this last season, weird season that it's been, for me the high point of it. I, I got to take my thirteen year old nephew to his first game. Brilliant. And, and my and of course uh, you know my sister used to be married to Doctor Mark. Uh, of uh, mm. pr- prior fan cars fame and she hates football as a result uh, <laughs> i think chelsea was cited in the divorce if not i was um so you know new husband she has kids with them so you know she's determined that my nephew would hate football and you know at the age of about 12 he suddenly starts talking about football oh lovely yeah and and Right, and I end up, you know, it was like a six-month battle to, to, to get him allowed to come with me. And I took him along, and he just absolutely loved it. And I asked him, I said, no, actually, no, it happened before that. I, it was Christmas, and I had a chat with him. He started talking to me about Eden Hazard. 
And I thought, <laughs> okay. I said, so, uh, so, so, Sash, are you, are you a Chelsea fan then? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh. I said, so how come you're a Chelsea fan then? You never talked to me about that before. He said, well, because yeah. of you, of course. Oh, brilliant. And I thought, how come? And of course, you know, the, the presence that we have, yeah. it reaches far yeah, and wide. And, and Absolutely. I, yeah, and I said, okay, mate, we'll have to take you to a game. And I took him to the Burnley game, and, and he just absolutely loved it. And then, of course, the bloody season finishes. It's just so cruel. But uh, just lovely. I'll tell, tell you what's funny, and, and I think this is where the, you know, the, that my granddad, even though he's a West Ham fan, created uh, like dozens of Chelsea fans because my brother uh, also had lots of children. And through a second relationship, uh, he has stepchildren. And that they're all Chelsea fans. <laughs> That's six. I've got two. There's eight that Chelsea fans. But not only that, once we were converted to Chelsea, um, uh, we are the eldest in our. My 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 dad had one brother, and he had like four children, and uh, we converted the eldest of those to Chelsea, and so they all grew up as Chelsea fans. So two, so two uh, Chelsea supporting fathers. Begat about this two generations of Chelsea supporters, so two has become like about sixteen Chelsea supporters. Isn't it strange? It's the way to do it, mate. So anyway, your first game is at West Ham in '66, which is actually quite an iconic. No, I wasn't there. My brother was there. Ah, I wasn't. So, because I was going to say that that actually was an iconic game, not least because, of course, you know, more Peters and Hurst come out with the World Cup. So, I mean, even I've seen you know, footage of that and gone, cool, yeah. blimey. Um, so what was your first game then? If that wasn't, that was the first one you were aware was, of, but what was the first one you went yeah, to? Yeah, as I say, I was like about five and I, I, people keep asking me this. Uh, I think the first game that I was taken to was uh, Sheffield United in November 66, so a few months later. And it would have been like almost uh, a week or so before my uh, sixth birthday. And I think, that would have been it. And it was a 1-1 draw uh, at home at the bridge. And my brother and I, um, when we were independently sit, uh, would stand, sorry, in the shed. And we always stood near the pillar that was, I suppose you call it the northwest uh, edge of the roof. So nearest the kind of nearest the, the west stand, uh, just under the that, that corner of the roof is where we always used to gather with our mates and everything like that. But in 66, when my mum and dad took the two of us, they decided to go into North Stand. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying Sheffield United were, uh, I mean, they weren't a big mob or anything like that. But the amount of aggression that you that you heard uh, in there was quite phenomenal. And I remember, I remember sharpened coins being thrown at some games. For some reason, my dad always took us in that the kind of the west side of the north, the, the north stand. I imagine it was because he had four p- people to pay, and I suppose it was quite cheap, and uh, he didn't uh, he didn't fancy going in the shed for some reason. But of course, me and my brother, as soon as we could go out by ourselves, it was going to the shed. And I think, you know, you talk about the first game. I remember nothing about the match. Of course, I was too young, but the impressions that I think are almost universal mm. uh, rest with me um, two of them uh, specifically outside the smell of 
the mixture of smells of fried onions and manure. Yeah. So fried yeah. onions from the, from the burger stands and manure from the police horses that were always outside uh, <coughs> dropping their loads. And then I think nothing really prepares a young and impressionable child for the sight of the, the size of that football pitch surrounded by the stands, the grandeur of it. And it's such a surprise to go from, as a youngster, to go from an urban environment and then go into, like, you know, a theatre of football and this huge expanse of green and the thrill of thinking, wow, look at those, those, two, those two sets of posts there. That's what it's all about. You know, and they, they, the white against the green and the white nets and all those kinds of things. And then you have the, I, I remember just being taken in by the, the, the way that it was like a, a turbulent sea of noise in the stand, uh, of chants starting and finishing and being overtaken by others, two starting at the same time, and then everything in unison and the clapping and the weird rhythms of the claps and things like that, and just being absolutely spellbound uh, by it. And I think that was the lovely thing about uh, the old walk-up Stamford Bridge, rather than uh, you know having a seat and having to a military operation to get into the ground, <laughs> uh, was the fact that you could just congregate with your mates. Like I say, what we used to do me and my brother with with our mates in the shed. You'd know where they were going to be. Didn't matter what time you got there. You know, oh hello mate, how are you doing? And um, the fact that you the, this, the magic of Chelsea and the part of the attraction of the area and uh, the, the fact that cheek by jowl you have lords and artists and musicians and photographers and uh, uh, people in non-skilled work, dustbin men and unemployed and students and everyone, all on the same terrace. And I really loved, I've got to say, I, I did really love the fact that Chelsea had the showbiz connection and sometimes you'd see like Rodney Bues walking out of the ground or you'd spot a, uh, someone famous from the telly, something like that. And I loved the fact that Chelsea had that touch of stardust about it. I, and I love that to this day. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I work in film and TV for the majority of my life and I know I've met and worked with a lot of famous people and yet I still get excited when I see somebody famous wander out of Chelsea as you as you invariably do and you go oh my god he's a Chelsea you know it's just weird it's like being a kid and I totally relate to that that uh the smell of football but it you're right when you're inside it's just a totally censorious visceral thing isn't it it's physical And that's what people, I don't think, understand until they actually go. And, and you know, we both sit in Gate 17, of course, and you have yes. this, this massive... The walk, famous Gate 17. The famous Gate 17. And yet another famous resident of the famous Gate 17. But, you know, we've got that massive walk all the way up, up those bloody steps, which one day is going to kill me, <laughs> I know. Especially when you've had a few pints. And uh, But, but it, you, you go through that funny little, you know, entrance. It looks tiny, doesn't it, the entrance, you know, out yes. into the seats. Yes. But when you get there, suddenly there's that, that green and yes. the whole expanse of the stadium. It's still Absolutely. as exciting now yeah. as yeah. it was yeah. when you went up those steps at Stamford Bridge and you saw yes. it all before you. It's amazing. Yes. Even though the stadium's so completely different, it's that same feeling. It's amazing, isn't it? I do. The, the thing I, I suppose I do miss about the, the 60s and 70s version of the 
uh, of the stadium was that if you were in the shed, you'd be able to look at the the kind of uh, above the the north stand, and you'd see the Empress State Tower, and you'd or, you know you'd you'd see a little bit more of the landscape than you do now. So it feels a little bit more enclosed, and I think partly because we had the running track around it, the pitch seemed to be even bigger yeah. and uh, even grander. But um, but that said, uh, as you say, the 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 frisson of coming out from the, the top of Gate 17 and walking down to the seat and the brilliant view that you have there. I mean, that's one thing that's definitely better. Yes. <laughs> if you remember, if you were in the shed, quite if action was if there was a a bagatelle happening in the opposition in the opposite goal mouth, uh, you quite often you couldn't really tell what was going on. You're so far away from from the action if you're at the back of the shed, but um, uh, but there was I do uh, I do miss the the sort of I suppose the laissez-faire the kind of casual nature of going to a game there. Yeah, yeah, you could just turn up, and get in. That was a very different thing. Uh, but yeah. you know, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I I fell in love with the stadium before I really fell in love with the team. Oddly, so mm. I, I totally get. Yeah. That whole can understand that. Yeah, the whole location and everything else. All right, my friend. Um, you know, you you've been going to Chelsea for over fifty years, so you, mm. you've seen a fair few matches. What what are some of your some of your favourite ones? Um, growing up, particularly growing up, particularly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that which is what this is all about, isn't mm. it? It's about the formative kind of things, and I would say I can remember. <laughs> well, I wasn't at the 1970 FA Cup final replay, but I watched it on the telly and I uh, I was told a, a few years ago, my mum said, oh, you fell off the sofa when Peter Osgood headed the equaliser. I was allowed to stay up late, obviously, because um, <laughs> I would have been only nine or something. Um, but I think I, I, I really enjoyed... I, I, I sort of started to go independently when we were starting to get a bit rubbish, unfortunately. I can remember going to uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, when we won, I think, 3-1 or something in the late 60s. And that was brilliant. We were in a kind of a neutral part of the ground. And um, I can remember seeing this <laughs> this copper, uh, big copper, big old copper, Proper old plod he was, big old tubby copper, and um, he had a, 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 this young ruffian with Arsenal colours on in one hand, um, a Chelsea one, blue and white in the other, marching them down the side of the pitch. Both of them bloody had obviously been having an, an old ding dong, and behind him was this tiny copper. In contrast, carrying a some kind of assault weapon that had been used, just marching down the side of the pitch while the game was going on. Were quite an incredible sight to see, and I remember thinking then, "What are they doing? What are they doing? Why aren't they watching the game?" And I, what I loved about Chelsea, I think particularly, you say about falling in love with the ground and the atmosphere and things uh, before you could really appreciate the beauty of the football and attach yourself to the to some of the players. Um, But I think one of the first impressions I, uh, one of the things that made me love Chelsea especially was the royal blue. I loved that colour. It's my favourite colour blue anyway. And I think uh, just there was something about the, the, the richness of the, the colour of the shirt. And I can remember back in the days, you and I, we're old enough, 
we're pre-replica kit, aren't we? Where you had to do a kind of assemble it yourself. Um, and I can remember getting a Chelsea kit, sort of in late 60s, I think, and buying, or my mum buying a, a white braid so that I could put the line down the side and then getting iron-on strips so I could do the number uh, and all this sort of stuff and assembling it, particularly for Charlie Cook, because Charlie Cook was my massive uh, hero when I was a kid. I just loved him. I was a, uh, I always played football for Sunday team, school team and everything, and I was a kind of nippy uh, inside forward winger. So I loved dribbling past players and I, I loved playing kind of deft, supposedly clever passes and that kind of thing. So I really, I loved watching him and always oh, work ethic as well. So I think lots of my memories about matches are tied in with watching Charlie Cook. And then you'd get, he was just part of this, uh, the, a facet of that team was that they could be really in the doldrums during a game. Uh, you know, Aussie looked lazy, wasn't up to it. Tommy Baldwin was sort of bumping around and not doing anything. Alan Hudson was being, it was not quite on his game and the defence were a bit lacklustre. And then suddenly something would happen, like Webby would go forward, Dave Webb, you know, Sexton would say, go forward, Webby, and he would go up into the front. And suddenly the team would be, for 15 or 20 minutes, impossible to play against. Everything clicked. It was buzzing, passing, flicks, running, cleverness, nastiness, uh, such um, exciting, beautiful, inspirational, artistic play. Just for that, we used to call it the Chelsea frenzy, me and my brother. We used to, <laughs> we used to say there would be 20 minutes in a game where we could anything could happen. We might get two goals, we might get three, we might get none, but we would be brilliant for 20 minutes. Um, and, I, and that really, I can felt like that because we were. I think what I'm saying is we were desperately inconsistent, not only game to game, but within games. Mm. Uh, and that's why we didn't. That's why we weren't able to win the league. I see another brilliant memory I have. It's just come back to me now. Is uh, the um, the fifty five thousand crowd at uh, at Christmas uh, against Fulham? Or 55,003, and me and my brother and his mate, we always say, well, it wouldn't, you know, we were the ones that took it over 55,000. If we hadn't gone, it would have been, it would have only have been 55,000, not 55,003. But that was a, uh, you know, that was an all-star Fulham team. Was Bobby that, Moore was that in the Eddie that, Max season? George Best. In, in Division yes. 2, the Eddie Max season. Yes, sorry, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And George Best. Bobby um, Moore. Who, yeah, exactly. And, Rodney um, Marsh. No, I don't think Rodney Marsh. I don't think Rodney Marsh played for some reason. I'm trying to remember why. Mullery why wasn't. I think so. Yeah. I'm sure he left his mark on some of our players as he always did. Um, but I suppose then you were looking at a team past its glories and trying punching above its weight. So other matches, I really uh, like embedded in my mind are the. The, the times when we uh, knocked Liverpool out of the cup or beat them in the in the league, and that sort of became the the one match of the season where you beat Tottenham or Arsenal or, or Liverpool. Uh, you know, you could lose to Sheffield United and 
Rotherham and all these sorts of people, but uh, you could punch up and, uh, and and land one on on Liverpool. So the four two and the three one uh, of the seventies, you know, Clive Walker and Peter Rhodes Brown and and those brilliant ones. And I suppose what then uh, you didn't feel like those players, the ones I mentioned, like Walker and Fillery and all that, all that lot, they weren't superstars. So in a way, you felt uh, they, weren't, they certainly weren't uh, gods. They weren't even demigods. They were mortals. And I suppose we felt a little bit more of an affinity with them, being uh, prosaic footballers ourselves. Whereas maybe the, uh, the, uh, the previous era, they were untouchables and... You know, you couldn't possibly emulate their skills. You could really with some of the ones that were playing in the late 70s. And they were all about efforts, really, weren't they, when you think about it? Like, like Ian Britton personified a lot of those, uh, that, that kind of sweaty approach. But we can't, we can't, maybe we can't match you in skill, but we'll match you in work rate. So, I mean, other, other than uh, Charlie Cook... Uh, which is Tim Roll's favourite player growing up. Actually, a lot of lot yeah. of my mates of your kind of vintage, they all say Charlie Cook, actually. And I always expect you to say Peter Osgood or Peter Bonetti. So it's interesting. But, I mean, who, 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 what other players kind of growing up, you know, 70s particularly, I think? those You know, when you I were always, going a bit more regularly, yeah. I suppose. What other kind of players did you did you love? I always loved Peter Bonetti. Um, I loved the fact that he could throw the ball further than he could kick it. I suppose that appealed to the maverick in me, the contrarian, um, and how brave he was. Uh, I, I loved Peter Osgood for the swagger. You know, he could make you feel... Uh, it's sometimes he would be like uh, Achilles or something. <laughs> you know, he was such a champion, and you felt like he was taking the whole club into battle. Uh, on his back and then other times he just didn't turn up it sometimes so uh, he was a I, I think that's probably why he's not my favorite player because sometimes I, I suppose people will say the same thing about Charlie Cook and maybe it's just because I love Charlie and I'll forgive him for the bad games that he had um, and then I suppose a little bit later I really one of my definite all-time favourites was Ray Wilkins. And partly because he was the diamond in a rough time. Uh, he was so Lit- skillful. Literally and metaphorically, I think. Absolutely. Uh, it was... He was the first player of the calibre of uh, Cook and Osgood and everyone like that to emerge from our academy for years. Mm. And... At a time when everything else, uh, everyone else was, all the quality was being flogged off and um, there was always talk of players being unhappy and there were so many disputes and the, the club seemed to be falling apart. He seemed like the one constant because he was such a regular performer. And when you, I, I was fortunate to know Ray quite well and interviewed him many times and he suffered a lot of uh, mental difficulties in that time and I think carrying the burden and I've sort of thought about it more recently and I think we did invest an awful lot in him we burdened him with a lot principally because he was the only one we felt he he was the one person that could 
uh, keep us in the, the kind of status uh, that we felt entitled to. Uh, I think he, he, that was quite a heavy burden for him to bear. I was distraught. I would well, well have been 18 or something, but I was really distraught when he left. And I did feel over and above the financial problems that the club was happening at the time, which were well documented, it felt like a, a spiritual death when he left. It felt like the club had actually given up. Mm. It wasn't dead, but it, it was dying. Yeah. Uh, really, ups- I was really upset when Ray left. But then Ken Swain, I really liked. Gary Locke was another one of my favourite players. Um, Ian Hutchinson, and then of course, obviously a little bit later. But this is not really the what you want to talk well, about. Well, no, it's, it, Pat, honestly, the, the, Pat Nevin, anything, you know, any, anything you like, yeah. you can you can talk about. I loved Pat Nevin. Yeah, uh, you know, there were. I suppose that's the the. And it, uh, that eighties team, that mid eighties team, was just sensational at times, and really unfortunate that European football wasn't around because I think there's a possibility that they could have ended up in the UEFA Cup or something like that because we were English teams, English clubs were banned from mm. Europe at the time. And I think again there was something in that team that was uh, that John Neal team that was really special and meant a lot. Uh, to uh, what would I been? I've been in my mid, early to mid twenties mm. by then. I'd just come back down to London uh, from Newcastle and um, just finding work. And then you'd sort of go to the the games and you'd see thrilling football uh, and winning football. And that was something that really we hadn't seen for ten years at at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. So that was all. That was all good. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. 
At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Excellent. I mean, honestly, you, you don't worry about it. This doesn't have to be 60s, 70s, mate. You, you've been there for over 50 years. So I think oh, you're... I could be- I could talk all day about that. Well, I have I know. to limit myself. I know, that's true. <laughs> I have to limit myself. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, well, I, I'll share a joke with you. I mean, dear old Mark Meehan, who you know very well, yes, I know, and who is one of, Chel- for years, yeah. and one of Chelsea's most loveliest people. Yeah. And, you know, Mark is like a walking I've encyclopedia. I've done it since the independent days, yeah, yes. exactly. So, I mean, you know, he's like a walking encyclopedia. But I recorded one of these mm. with him yesterday. And in his favourite matches bit, he'd actually he actually pinged me back an email with all of his answers on, so I could check a few of them out. I mm. I swear to God, he had twenty matches on there. It was like a chronicled history of Chelsea. And I thought, you know what, bollocks! I'm just going to let him go. <laughs> so yeah, we yeah. did them all. We did them all. And why not? You know, why not? Um, I mean, actually, that's a good point, actually, and it kind of relates to you too. I think. I mean, funnily enough, I've just done a, a piece for Football London on what I considered to be the most important matches that changed Chelsea's history. Ah, so, yes. so not not matches that where we won the trophy, but no. you know, matches where if we hadn't have won that match, everything yes. would have been completely different. So yeah, obviously so like Bolton, absolutely. Liverpool um, in two thousand and three, those kinds of games. And Liverpool yeah. in, in in the cup in nineteen ninety seven. You know, that's a, yeah. if we hadn't have won that, we probably yes. we wouldn't have won the cup. Time. You know exactly, time. which Incredible was a huge really. amount of fun to do, and of course, you know, you, you're Chelsea's official historian. So the thought, thought occurs to me, Rick. Obviously, you've been going for over mm. fifty years. You're the official historian. Yeah. You have seen so many matches at Chelsea that have been fundamental to our history. So out of out of those, what would be some of your favourites? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'd have to go with uh, all of the ones you just said. I think the uh, Clive Walker at Bolton in '83. Uh, that we would have gone down to the third division for the only time, first and only time in our history. Uh, so averting that disaster was pretty important. I wasn't there in '62. The winning at Sunderland. The you know people look for periods. They fund the seasons where the trophies are won and they tend not to look at the build the roots of those things. A bit like people underestimate the importance of the sea change that happened when um, Glenn Huddle was brought in in 94. I don't think 97 or 2004, 5, any of that thing would have happened if we hadn't gone for Glenn Huddle in 1994. I think it's that important. And so uh, I would say that without getting promotion after the Sunderland game, we beat Portsmouth 7-0 after that, but we got promotion. Doherty's reign then took off in a big way. We had the most exciting team uh, in England for the next five years. Then Sexton took over and kind of consolidated there and turned it into a winning thing. So I think that's the Sunderland game. I'd say, obviously, that when you win Cups, it's important, but we're talking about kind of pivotal moments so there are some bad ones as well don't forget well, we have to look at that i was going to say know. what 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 are some of your worst chelsea moments um i'll skip relic oh, the, the relegations and obviously I, I, we can include we can include drinking with me in the cop tavern before a game by the way <laughs> no 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 that's always <laughs> always a pleasure never a chore and <laughs> um i think 75 was really i was at the tottenham game and uh, in 75 and even though 
that wasn't the one that knocked us down. It just felt, you know, there was a, from that, from then on, there was a dreary inevitability about the relegation in 75, 79. And then, of course, the, you know, one of these things that I just, the unfathomable, the enigma of Chelsea to become the only team in England ever to be relegated by the playoffs. The playoffs are supposed to elevate clubs. They're not supposed to drag them down. So I think 88, that, I remember being at the, at the bridge for that, watching Paul Miller's, uh, the, the Charlton player, watching these weird goal go in and just being furious with our players. Not the bad ones, the good ones. Mm. You know, the, the bad ones can't help themselves, but the good ones allowing us to draw at home and go into the playoffs. And then, of course, we lost to Middlesbrough and, you know, it beat Blackburn and lost to Middlesbrough in those playoffs. So I think that was a really, I, I, one of definitely one of my lowest moments, probably because I was then, what, 27, something like that. Uh, and so I was <clears throat> old enough to realise uh, some of the things that were going on and why the team wasn't performing and, you know, some of the politics and everything that was that was happening. So and, I and found it, that really, really depressing. And it should 2008. never it should never have happened as well, Rick. That's the no, point. Because that side shouldn't. was way too good to go down. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Apart from the ridiculousness of the playoffs. But they were way too good to go down, as was proved the next season when they romped back yeah. up. I know absolutely. And uh and obviously there were we had this issue with you had to, uh, the the Hollins and Ernie Wally uh, regime was so unpopular with the players, and that the residue of that, uh, if you like, the the echo of that continued throughout for uh, you know for months afterwards, and uh, so Bobby Campbell tried to inspire them, but he had a particular way of doing it that didn't necessarily appeal to all of the players. And I think the fishes that John Neal had been able to paste over because he was such a good, and, he, and Ian McNeil was such good uh, people, people. <laughs> uh, I think the fishes had, had, uh, between the players, the personalities, they'd all probably been together a bit too long and uh, and nothing was, nothing was working and it all just kind of fell apart. So 88 was really, really awful. Um you know, you could say things like losing 6-1 at Tottenham. I was there for that. But to be honest, that's, what's that? It's just it's a defeat. The ramifications were not great. We came back and smashed them after that for, forever. And um, <laughs> uh, but I suppose... You mentioned 2008 just before I interrupted Well, I'm you. thinking of Moscow, yes. Right. Um, the wettest I've ever been, <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh and there was a feeling, I think, amongst the, the people that I was with afterwards, uh, that will we ever get here again? Yeah. It was like a one-off chance, um, and that, those I think those are the matches where I get in terms of like cup finals and things. It's if you feel like you're not going to be back again, like you can lose an FA Cup or a League Cup, and you think, oh, we can easily get back there. I mean, you know. Cardiff gets a cup final. We can get to cup finals. So you didn't so feel like that. You didn't feel like that after '94, then. Um, a little bit, although I think the corollary to '94 was that it was the first time we'd been into a cup major yeah. cup final yeah. for so long, 
and that progress was clearly being made. Um, and I don't think, when you think about it, uh, we had, it was, we were starting to play better football uh, in, um, from 95 onwards, of course, uh, we just became a completely different club gradually. Um, the, the strategy and implementation of that strategy was just phenomenal. I t- can't think of a, a club that has, has done as well as that uh, without really throwing huge amounts of money at it. I know we got into debt and everything like that, but it was an implementation of a clever strategy. Uh, that transformed the club. And I can't think of a a club that's done similar to that. And certainly when you think how it was supercharged, that whole strategy just was continued and supercharged by the arrival of Roman Abramovich. Uh, That continuum is is just extraordinary. Uh, But I'm thinking about 94. Uh, Yes, it felt... uh, I think... What was worse about that was the injustice of losing 4-0 to Man United, a team that we'd beaten twice 1-0 in the league. So I think there was that, the kind of embarrassment, and then seeing that, oh, God, it's the worst uh, FA Cup defeat matches Brighton. So there's another record that... There's another statistic that we've used to hammer at us and uh, knock us back. Um, But I, I felt quite confident that we would be back then for some reason. And, of course, 97, you're talking about favourite matches oh. I mean 97 uh, I just dropped my phone then <laughs> <laughs> I caught it well I like saw Peter Benetti. <laughs> a yeah. very good catch <laughs> how was he and uh, um, so 97 you know, it's only three years later we're back there with this glorious uh, uh, coach walking out in front of his team Rude Hullet who is one of my all time favourite players again and probably represents at the club and um, just everything perfect that is one of those days everything perfect even the early goal you know to um, settle us down yes uh, I used to I'm trying to think who it was that said it now um, oh, I can't remember now but someone said Watching football is the only thing that you spend a hell of a lot of money to buy a ticket for. And then uh, if your team scores in the first 30 seconds, you'd be quite happy for it to finish straight away. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So very, uh, very true. And I think that was the the glorious release of Dimitar's goal in 97 that allowed us really to celebrate more or less for 90 minutes. And then another... 40 minutes afterwards was just a remarkable day. Yeah. I mean, would that rank as one of your best Chelsea moments? I would imagine there's no, been definitely. quite a few. Definitely. I think the FA Cup at 70 and 97, right up there. 2003, sorry, uh, 2005, uh, the Bolton would probably be my favourite uh, memory. Frank scoring the, the two goals up at Bolton to win the league for the first time. You know, I'm, I was born in 60, so I always felt we underestimated or underrated the importance of winning the league in 55. No, yeah. none, growing up, no one talked about no. that. You didn't, until Roman Abramovich came out, you hardly ever saw 
Roy Bentley or heard of him. Yeah. No one talked about that, the fact that we'd won the league. The only people that talked about it were Arsenal teasing us, saying you won the league in black and white. And we felt, we, it was almost like we felt embarrassed about that or that it was eclipsed by the this glamorous, the King's Road swingers and the 70-71 successes. Um, so I think the fact that we laid a ghost there and that they were involved in it and the Chelsea pensioners were involved in it when we all celebrated uh, 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 home to Charlton afterwards, after the Bolton game, celebrating winning the league. I really felt that was a, a club that had been uh, broken many years ago and the pieces hadn't quite been put back together. I felt we were, everything was reassembled on that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought we we reinvented ourselves as as old Chelsea in that moment, but an old Chelsea that was suddenly successful. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that totally. Um, I would imagine Munich must. Well, actually, do you know what? I could, I should have renamed this. Uh, which They're not Munich? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Actually, because I, I mean, I defy anybody who's been going a long time to not say that Munich was their best. Munich was the best moment in my life, seriously, (laughs) let alone football. But I should have renamed this bit. Which matches at Chelsea have you cried at? And that would have been more revealing. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Well, I think I was caught on TV cameras crying when Frank Lampard uh, scored at Aston Villa to beat Bobby Tamling's record. That meant a lot to me, yeah. watching that. I was at the camera pad over and I was crying. I got all these text messages from people telling me to man up, I think. But, <laughs> um, no heart, mate. No soul. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I definitely cried when I was younger at, at some matches. I'm trying to think which ones, which ones they would have been. But uh, no, I didn't cry at... I didn't. I was too busy uh, enjoying my Monte Cristo cigar after we'd won at Munich. I was standing. I don't know if I told you this. Uh, I've I seen the video. Watching. Oh yes, uh, the Frank Lamp. Well, yeah, tell Frank the story. Lamp, yes. Tell the story. Uh, well, uh, Paul Dutton and myself. We had our tickets. He's the official statistician of the club. Um, we had tickets sort of round right at the very edge of the Chelsea supporters, and. Um, for a start, when the penalties were taking place, Paul, I have to say, is a bit of a fretter. So when Didier walked up to take the final penalty, uh, Paul grabbed me and said, he's taking too short a run-up, it's too short a run-up. And I grabbed him back and I said, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and of course, we just exploded in celebration when he saw the nets. Russell and everything. And I always say, well, it was like watching, seeing this squad and how they all broke off in different directions it was like watching a firework go off. It was just beautiful, like the, the bloom of a firework. It's just incredible. Um, so we were jumping up and down and I can remember the cheering just went on for ages. It just went on for, for about 10 minutes, just yeah. people just cheering. You know, and I know it sounds stupid, people saying, well, of course they were, but no, it's not, it's actually really rare for everyone to keep cheering, you know. It's a release. It it is, but it went on and on and on. It was just like something 
as you say, something really visceral. Yeah. Um, so after this kind of died down and the players were running around and romping around and things, and they came up to, uh, we were going, where's the, looking over and seeing that the, the box where they'd received the medals was just about sort of, uh, about 100 yards, 50, 75 yards to our right. And so we thought, oh, hold on a minute, are they going to come? Where, where are they going to come out? We were looking where the staircase is. And then they showed them on the, the, the screen uh, inside the stadium, showed them at the bottom of the staircase. And I looked down and said, hold on a minute, look, this, that's, where this, that's where they're walking. It's like just down below us. Like about, well, I say just down, about 50 yards down from us. So we, no one else seemed to be looking at this. So me and him bundled down there. And uh, it was Ivor Badil who was behind me who filmed when Frank Lampard came out and I shouted out. Me and Paul always used to give stats and things to, to Frank and tell him who he scored most goals against and all this, and he loved all of that. So when he saw us, and I was happened to be closest, he said, we've effing done it, and gave me a big hug. And Ivor Badil was behind me filming it. And I didn't know this until the next day, and he sent me the clip. I was thinking, oh my God, no one was going to believe me that I got a hug from Frank Lampard on his way as skipper to collect his medal. And Ivor, thank you, Ivor, uh, caught it for posterity. That's on YouTube, that. I've seen it. It's absolutely brilliant, as is all of that whole <laughs> Munich thing. It will live long in our memory. Um, kind of moving a bit forward now, Rick. I mean, you know, mm. we, we've been blessed, haven't we, in the last 15, well, maybe even, you know, 25 years, really, with some fantastic yeah. players. Who, who, have, who are some of your favourite modern Chelsea players, or even current ones, actually? Um, well, I think I said, if you're talking modern era, I'd say of the, the, the sort of the present era, uh, I loved Rude Hullet for what he meant for the club. You know, that, that when he signed for us, Chelsea was, uh, the name of Chelsea was on front pages in a positive mm. uh, sense for the first time in years. Uh, and everything about uh, he's, everything about him, I thought, was, was brilliant. I loved uh, scooting forward a few seasons. I loved that Duff Robin partnership on the wings. I thought that was just sensational. I loved those two. Duffer uh, for his kind of laid back love of Chelsea, which he's quite often expressed. He mm. says, I should never have left. He yeah. loved his time. Cycle, he used to see him cycle to, to training. I think he loved that idea about this was a, a huge club, uh, but he could be himself there. He could be an individual. and very much was. Robin, just because, my God, what a player. Mm. Uh, you know the, the the way that he could single-handedly transform a game in a, a, a couple of runs that would there was something uh, inexorable about him getting the ball on the halfway line with a winger in front of him and and kind of his feet suddenly going very very quick and you're thinking he's going to just beat him for pace knocking it past him or dribbling past him or selling a dummy was it Fulham where he he did a dummy and Three players ended up on the floor. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Petr Cech, just for pure reliability. The eye of the eagle. You know, you could see him. He was like a... He could see everything so brilliantly. And he knew... And he was a killer as well. And he knew exactly what he, he needed to do. And he did it. Frank, JT. I mean, especially Didier. I feel real love for 
for DDA Drogba. Um, feet of clay, heart of a lion. Um, not a perfect, uh, not a perfect player by any means, as we know, but I think a real brilliant human being. And um, uh, and I think, well, right bang up today, Golo Kante, what a player! And I still, I, I'm upset that he seems to have been carrying his injury for, for so long and I hope it's not uh, something that, oh, I hope it's something he can recover from. I hope it's not something that's going to truncate his career because he's played so much football. But again, love everything about him, his spirit, his humanity, brilliance, trickery, the fact that he's prepared to improve and learn uh, consistently and I suppose the other thing you have to talk about is the the academy lads who I think have been a breath of, of fresh air so Reese James Tammy Abraham Billy Gilmore Billy Go yeah, what we've got <laughs> what we've got to look forward to now and I know you know the lockdown's been really difficult for everyone and I'm sure plenty of people and players have misgivings about the whether the return has been expedited and whether it's sensible health-wise to 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 do uh, to um, bring football back uh, I think it'd be a travesty without fans in the stadium to be honest and I don't think that you can trust um, football supporters when it's very emotional and a unique experience Liverpool winning the Premier League for the first time you think People aren't, some supporters aren't going to think, well, bugger this, I'm going to go down to the ground. I want to catch a glimpse of them so I can say to my grandchildren, yes, I was there that day. I think they've been really naive. And I, but, sorry to go off on a tangent, but um, we've got all this to look forward to. All of these young players uh, improving, being brilliant. Uh, and I think that's, that's, going to really sustain us over the next few years i'm actually writing some big articles for the official website at the moment i've been researching the the history of uh chelsea's youth uh products uh, projects rather the very early years and i found out some stuff that i really didn't know some brand new research that is uh really um explains a lot about tudor rose and when we actually started, the, when Billy Birrell first used the juniors team, who the first ones to come through were. So watch out for that on the official website. Fantastic, Rick. Um, okay, really hard choice for you, given your you know length of support and everything, but who is your all-time Chelsea hero? <laughs> you know, I always say Charlie Cook, but actually, do you know what? I think it's Didier Drogba now. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant switch. <laughs> I mean, I know you've just given a beautiful eulogy to, to, to the drogs, but uh, do you want to expand on why? Well, I think you've, you said, I always say my best day as a Chelsea fan was Bolton and my best night as a Chelsea fan was Munich. <laughs> good, good, and, good out. And um, I think it still sends a shiver down my spine to think of the journey that we went on with him. And from 2008 and the disgrace with uh, comments and what happened there and the fact that he wasn't able to take a penalty that night because he'd been sent off. Yes. 
so there's this it's a, it, it really is like a, a greek myth his story mm. and and i think that's what makes it so special plus he's a great person a lovely man and um and a, a, what an incredible story really from that he has and he's absolute proper chels you know he really is our hero and i think that uh uh to be to have crowned that scoring the winning goal in the penalty shootout against Bayern Munich in their own backyard what an incredible story and he's the only one of that amazing squad whose signature i don't have on my signed shirts <laughs> i need to sort that out don't i really <laughs> the um, other thing I, I mean i didn't even mention the fact that he scored so many goals in cup finals yeah. for us amazing and that, my, my son my, my son alfie always says about you know whenever people talk about jogba the thing that stands out for him is not the winning penalty it's the header and the yeah. the, the the brilliance of that equalizing header yeah and the fact that he said to matter now you go and create a goal for me and i'll yeah. score it yeah. Yeah. you know and matter always says that they used to g each other up over that, saying, "Oh, you know, it's down to you. You've got to help me." And oh no, you've got to help me, kind of thing. And the, the, everything about the, uh, the the way that he shaped for it, the power that he managed to get, the direction, and the fact that Neuer's yes, and the, the way that Neuer's the scrabbling, he's, he hasn't got a chance. It's right near, it's right kind of at him, but above him, and he's got no chance because it's such a bullet, a bullet header. Remarkable, and he had the decency to do it at our end as well. <laughs> so I had a lovely view of it. Saw it all the way into the net, mate. Fantastic. Also, his celebrations, uh, you know, driving the groom room, like driving yeah, yeah. The, the the cup around as if it was a motorbike, yeah, yeah. motorbike handlebars or something. Yeah. And then the the against Wigan, you know, the eight nil when he came down to the corner flag, and him and from Aluda formed a little band. Do you remember yeah, the guitars yeah, yeah. and the drumming and things like that? Just. Just a, a real touch of class. Actually, what, one of my favourite Drogba moments, unusually, because, you, you know, we get moved, don't we, uh, uh, out yeah. of uh, Gate 17. Uh, you don't. Do. You're at the front. So I don't oh, no, no my, no, my wife and the youngest get moved. Yeah, yeah so. I get moved because I'm at the back. So I found myself in the lower west tier, uh, right down by the corner flag near the shed end. So I was in pole position when Didier scored the goal against Barcelona in the semi-final. Oh. Oh. And he did the knee slide. It was right, yes. right towards me. I loved that. that is a, you see, I, I'm rubbish. Unlike all of you lot, I've got a memory like a goldfish when it comes to matches. <laughs> but that moment I will remember till my dying yes. day because that image yes. is just so rich in, in my memory still. But there you go. Um, right, uh, final bit of the whole thing, really, Rick. Uh, I, I, being, mm. being me, I can't do something like this without asking people what their favourite Chelsea songs are because I'm really <laughs> proud of the fact that we have such a vast array of songs and we get derided for only having one song which is Chelsea Chelsea it's not true we have as many songs if not more than everybody else so I want I need to set that record straight so what's some of your favorites my favorite is Chelsea 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 <laughs> I mean I know I know what the answer will be but humor me what why is that because it winds up opposition supporters up and it's, uh, I, I think the the point about it is that <laughs> it's a song of, it's a kind of song of resistance. Yeah. It's generally a time of adversity. And it's a kind of, 
it grows and it grows and it grows. And it doesn't it go away. Something that it doesn't go away. It <laughs> goes on for hours. I remember at Leeds. I think we lost 3-2 or something at Leeds. And I think we sang that song uh, for about an hour. Yeah. And it just... Their fans were going mad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It was yep. really driving them mad. <laughs> and... Um, <coughs> but I think... I oh, know there's lots of... I like... Uh... uh Oh, Molly Malone. I, I like I like some of the the old ones. There's a really brilliant song that it didn't used to be sung by all of the fans, but it used to be. It was one of those where you would have one fan whose song it was, like a virtuoso who would sing it, and you'd get like maybe two or three people joining in, but it would never catch fire in the whole end. Mm-hmm. And it was it was sung to Strawberry Fair. There's an old folk song called Strawberry Fair. As I was going to Strawberry Fair. Singing, singing, buttercups and daisies. And there was a bloke who used to sing that and he adapted it for every kind of generation. So the last time I saw uh, saw it being sung, he was talking about, uh, it, it involves opposition managers. You know, why are you so, uh, uh, why are you, I can't remember the words now, but it's like, why are you, why, why are you upset? So he used Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson and someone else. So it's, some quite recently mm. um and you can find a clip on youtube i think but that's that's one of my favorites um and i say it just, just doesn't really get sung even land of hope and glory i like the ones where you can kind of extend where it feels there's a crescendo you know where it feels like people suddenly join in and it gets that volume and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger so I suppose, you know, Blue Flag is another one I, I love. Um, and I wondered whether you meant a Chelsea-related song as in a pre-match song. So I, so I thought, obviously, Liquidator is beautiful. But I really love, Chelsea used to play uh, Sammy Dead by Eric Monty Morris, which is another, a proper scar song, actually, mm. that the players <clears throat> brought back from a Caribbean tour in the mid-60s. And uh, I do think that that should be played more at, more at the ground. Uh, but um, I'll have to say, really predictable, but I'm going to go for Chelsea, Chelsea to Amazing Grace. No, I, I have no argument with that. And you'll, you'll not be surprised. You're not the first to choose that. And <laughs> I think the last time somebody chose it, I, I, I said, you know, because you're right, it, 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 it's just so... It just drives the opposition fans up the swanee, doesn't it? Because it's relentless and it doesn't go away. As it's, and I compared it to, I mean, you you love your military history, I, I know, but mm. I, I compared it to a Napoleonic French column, you know, mm. that would just keep coming at you, no matter how many of the buggers you Absol- shot. It just kept right. coming. And I think that's yeah. what, what our... Relentless. Yes. Yeah. And, and Or like the bagpipes, you know, the same kind of thing. Annoying, yes. relentless, and it won't go away. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Rick, you've been absolutely fantastic, as I knew oh, you would. It's been my pleasure. No, it's been so much fun. It's been a, if I, feel, I feel it's been like a live kind of history lesson. I've, I've so enjoyed it. So thank you so much for doing that. No, my pleasure. Great to talk to you, George. It's the 90th minute. 
all your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.